0: Welcome back, friends, to the next installment of our study in 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. I uh, thank you again for joining us for this time of in depth Bible study. I'm so, com- so grateful uh, for your commitment to in depth Bible study. I've, I've built much of my ministry over the last 30 plus years on the conviction. Uh, that people really do want to know the Word of God, people really do want to go in depth to what God wants us to understand and glean uh, from our sacred scripture, and I am grateful that you are sharing this time with us. Uh, I want to spend two sessions on 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because in many, many ways it is so applicable uh, to church life today. Uh, again, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. It's a church uh, on the Greek mainland, or Achaia, actually, the peninsula uh, to the south, southern part of Greece. Is where he planted a church in the middle of the 50s A.D. Uh, people came to Christ uh, out of a predominantly pagan culture. There were some Jews there in Corinth, but most of them came out of the Greco-Roman culture. So uh, they brought a lot of their stuff their baggage with them into the Christian faith. Uh, That's why in a lot of ways they are very gifted. Uh, They have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, charismata, the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, is much in evidence in Corinth, but it is also apparent that they don't have the fruit of the Spirit and they're using those gifts in a way that's creating uh, division. They're using those gifts in a way that's coming out of their fleshly nature, uh, out of a spirit of arrogance. So Paul is helping them to mature in Jesus Christ. And we see a lot here in chapter 3. We really do in all of 1 Corinthians, but here in chapter 3, we see a lot that's very applicable uh, to church life today. And we see some some important words of caution uh, to Christians in this era. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just a few words of introduction to just this chapter, uh, it becomes apparent that in Paul's mind, there are two basic groups of people in the world, um, those who know Christ and those who don't, the saved and the unsaved. But when you look at First Corinthians chapter three and other places in the New Testament, it is clear that those who know Christ, those who uh, are among the saved, can also be divided into two categories. Uh, Paul talks about uh, the spiritual or the spiritually mature Christians, and he also talks about carnal. Christians. And I'm going to be using for a translation today the New King James Version um, because I want to hold on to that old English word carnal. And that word is used um, in, the, in the King James and in the New King James. It's not maintained in a lot of the more contemporary translations, uh, but I'm used to that word carnal. When I think about the Christians that are not mature, the Christians that are still living out of their fleshly, worldly nature more than they're living out of the impartation of the Holy Spirit that they have received because of their faith in Christ. So uh, we're going to be looking at uh, carnal Christians, and we will be able to tell from chapter 3 Paul's prayer, Paul's wish for carnal Christians. Evidently, the the Christians in Corinth uh, were very much in this category of carnal, unspiritual, immature Christians. Uh, Daniel Steele, an early Methodist uh, commentator, actually in the 19th century, uh, said that they are forgiven, but they're not cleansed. Uh, Because of a a Methodist emphasis, uh, particularly early in our history, on going on to perfection and Christian maturity, uh, we were part of the body of Christ that talked perhaps the most about carnal Christians. Because we can come to Christ, but we can just get in to the community of faith, uh, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, profess faith in Jesus Christ, and stay way too close to where we entered and not grow, not go on to maturity, not go on toward perfection. And uh, we Methodists used to be very um, fond of calling that carnal Christianity. Uh, A Christian can be a Christian. Uh, They are saved, but they can also be carnal. They can be living out of their fleshly nature. And I think particularly the church today is beset with that problem of a lot of christians who are still living out of the old nature they're still carnal christians Uh, they are being more ruled by the spirit of this age than they're being ruled by the the holy spirit so this chapter chapter three uh, tells us uh, a great deal about um, those divisions between carnal christians and christians who are more mature so with that piece of uh, introduction, let's go on and begin looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So he's saying that the church in Corinth predominantly is a church that's just made up by babes in Christ, by carnal Christians. Uh, People who are Christian, they are forgiven, but they are still very much under the power and the dominion of their old life, Uh, and they are not progressing toward maturity. So Paul, I'm sure, offended them here in verse 1 when he says he can't speak to them as spiritual people or as spiritualities, or the word people here is not in the Greek. He says, I cannot speak to you as spirituals, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Uh, he wants them to, to grow in their faith. Uh, the, the old term is sanctification. He wants them to grow in holiness. Again, they're they're staying too close to where they got into the faith, and they're not making any progress. Verse 2, he continues by saying, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. So he's talking about the Word of God, Christian doctrine, Christian convictions. Uh, here he's, he's referring to the Word of God, both the written Word, which for him would be the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, and the, the Word, capital W, the living Word, Jesus, the presence of God in our midst. In the Bible, the Word of God uh, here, uh, like First Peter, is referred to as milk. Uh, it's referred to as bread by Jesus in Matthew 4. It's referred to as meat uh, in Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, in, in that great long psalm uh, in the Psalter, Psalm 119, that extols the value, the benefits of the Word of God, the Word is even referred to as honey. So in so many ways, the Word of God nourishes us, nurtures us. And Paul is saying here that that he, 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 can't, he can't feed them with solid food. He's just able to give them the very basic milk as a mother would feed an infant. So he wants them to, to feed more on the Word of God, to get to the place where they're able to receive the solid food that the Word of God can become. Again, I commend you for your in-depth study of the New Testament, your in-depth study of the Bible, and Christian doctrine. You are, you are partaking of more solid food as you go in-depth. But he's saying to the church at Corinth here that he, he has not been able to give them a the solid food of the Word of God, and they're not able to receive it. And even right now as he writes to them, they're not able to receive it. He says in verse 3, "...for you are still carnal." There's that word, uh, sarkikos. It means fleshly. They are living out of their old nature. Uh, You know, I've always said, I wish that when we came to Christ, there was a delete button on us, that we could get rid of our baggage, we could get rid of the stuff, uh, we could get rid of all that that belongs to our fleshly, earthly nature, and just really grow in the Spirit. But sometimes we're so bound to uh, our natural state. Uh, And what we're aiming for is to get above our natural state, the supernatural, to grow in the realm of the Spirit. Uh, there, There is the possibility, according to Paul, and I believe it also, to be a Christian, but to be a carnal Christian. And, you know, you can see so much evidence Of carnal Christianity uh, in the Christian community. Uh, People are Christian, but they're trying to live their life according to the values, the strategies, the paradigms, uh, the procedures of the world around them. They're living their life not with their spiritual weapons, but they're living their life with the weapons of this world. They are not growing in the attitudes that, that, are, that are connected with the mind of Christ. They are still being um, controlled by the attitudes and the ways of this world. Uh, so there is such a thing as carnal Christianity. Uh, for all of us, we should be, to use old Methodist language, going on to perfection. We should be constantly growing in holiness of heart and holiness of life and uh, moving further and further away from uh, our carnal nature. But some people just stay very close to where they get into the kingdom of God and they don't seem to have any desire to progress. That's the picture that Paul is painting of the church in Corinth. They're a church that has been forgiven They have entered new life in Christ, but that new life in Christ is not being allowed to prevail. The mind of Christ in them is not being allowed to prevail. And he says here in verse 3 of chapter 3, you are still carnal. You're still fleshly. He goes on in verse 3, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you... You are not carnal, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So he's illustrating what he means by carnal Christians. They're the people who live with envy, strife, and divisions. Um, In some ways, they're being childish. Uh, They're infants, babes in Christ. Uh, They like to disagree. They love to disagree, and to use an old mountain term, they like to fuss with each other. I grew up hearing a lot of about people who fussed and children who fussed with each other. I'll admit it's not a word I use a lot today. If you look at the roots of the word fuss, it is an old Anglo-Irish word. Uh, that's why it, it, it was maintain in the mountains of West North Carolina where my families came from. And it means to just be agitated and always in an argumentative state. Uh, it came from the early 1700s uh, from Anglo-Irish people. So to be carnal means that you are given to envy, strife, divisions, dissensions. You're given to um, fussing with each other. And in the body of Christ, you see that. You see people who are propelled more than... By their preferences than they're being propelled by uh, the Holy Spirit. They're being propelled more by what they want and their agendas than what God wants. It is obvious that the body of Christ, and Paul is talking about the body of Christ here in First uh, Corinthians uh, 3, it's obvious that the body of Christ should be full of the fruit of the Spirit, should be filled with holiness, Be filled with generous giving people. Uh, Be a body that's full of good works, works of charity. Uh, Be a body that's filled with people who are given to the praise of God. And a, a body, a community that's winning others to Jesus Christ by their words and by their lifestyle. They have a faith that is contagious. That's what Christian maturity looks like for the body of Christ. That's what Christian maturity looks like for each one of us. As individuals but obviously in the church in Corinth Paul is saying they're still carnal they're just not progressing far beyond where they got into the faith that they haven't moved far beyond that stage from when they first believed so they're acting as mere men mere women natural people They're not living out of the fullness of the Spirit that's being offered to them through that indwelling Spirit in them. Verse four, he's going on to continue showing them what it looks like to live as carnal Christians. He says, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Again, these divisions, uh, these desires to attach themselves to one particular preacher and do that in such a way that causes them to um, criticize other preachers, to think that people in the body of Christ are not cooperating with each other in the cause, but they're competing. And that's why you've already heard him talk about the parties, uh, the cliques that are existing there in Corinth. Uh, There's some who say, I'm of Paul. There's some who say, I am of Apollos. Uh, This is the first reference here. Uh, in chapter 3 to Apollos, he's going to talk about Apollos a little more. Let me, let me say a word about uh, the early Christian Apollos. Um, there's a lot about Apollos that I, I really like, but he's not well known. If you look at Acts chapter 18, you see that it was the Apostle Paul who brought the faith to Corinth. But in a lot of ways, Apollos was very instrumental in the church there in, in, in Corinth. Apollos, obviously, we learned this from Acts, was an eloquent speaker, a great teacher. He was a, a Hellenistic, a, a Greek-speaking Jew from Alexandria in Egypt. Alexandria was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. Uh, in Acts, we see that Apollos uh, had an enthusiastic spirit. And what he taught... He taught with great accuracy and precision. Uh, he preached boldly in the synagogues among the Jewish people, and the people who listened to his preaching, who listened to his teaching, uh, were greatly benefited. Um, he refuted uh, much of the Jewish community with his powerful arguments, where he used Scripture to explain that Jesus is the the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, the one that they've been looking for 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 centuries. Um, But we also learn in uh, Acts chapter 18 that he didn't know about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What he knew was right, he just didn't know enough he didn't know about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So Priscilla, Aquila, Paul had to teach him about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He had only come under the influence of uh, John the Baptist and some of their early Christian preachers, but he had not learned that the, the, the Spirit could be given in a powerful way to the followers of Christ. Paul nowhere criticizes Apollos. But here in verse 4 he is pointing out that obviously there in Corinth some people were being attracted to Paul as their teacher, some were being attracted to Apollos. We're going to see later some were being attracted to Peter. And there's something in human nature, the carnal man, the carnal woman, that causes us to want to uh, attach ourselves to celebrities. We, We look for those kind of idols. And uh, Paul Paul is opposed to that, and that's why he refers to the carnal nature as a nature that is causing some of them to say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Then in verse 5, he explains the way we should look at the different ministries of the different people in the body of Christ. There is diversity of ministry in the body of Christ, but there is um, a unity of purpose. Verse 5, Paul says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers or servants through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? That's one of the reasons, by the way, that John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, believed in itinerating clergy, moving clergy about from place to place, because he said no one preacher of the gospel has all fruit. And if one preacher stays too long with one congregation, and that congregation becomes formed too much in the image of that one preacher, that uh, congregation may be out of balance. But the reason we have um, different servants of Christ, that Christ raises up, that Christ gifts in the body, is because they all bring something a little different to the ministry. And that's why Paul says here, Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. The Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit, in the midst of His people, parcels out the gifts of the Spirit to different people. So uh, we need a, a fullness of the gifts of the Spirit. And that's why we have different servants of Christ ministering out of different of uh, Gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say something that I found very, very uh, practical as I evaluate ministry in the body of Christ. Verse six, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So it takes all of us working together. It takes the Holy Spirit and each one of us uh, working together to bring fullness to the body. Paul says here he planted, and he did. He planted the church in Corinth. But Apollos watered. Apollos was a great teacher. Apollos helped the people grow in their knowledge of the Word. But even though it was Paul who planted the church, it was Apollos who helped the church To grow, Paul says here in verse 6, but God gave the increase. Spiritual growth comes only from God. We do the best we can. Uh, We become willing, obedient instruments in the hands of God, but it is God who gives the spiritual growth, growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now that I've been in ministry for 35-plus years, I've seen so many examples of this. I've seen how people planted. Um, They were there before I was. They started the work before I started the work. I came along, I feel a little bit like Apollos. I think my ministry is one of watering, helping people grow in the faith. I'm not really a church planner by nature. Um, I don't think I have the gift of evangelism. I try to lead people to Christ, but I think my gift is helping people grow uh, in the faith that they've received in Christ. I feel a little bit like Apollos, but um, I'm quick to admit that it is God and God alone who gives the increase. You know, we can plant like a farmer, but it is God who causes the fruit to be produced. It is God who gives the increase. And we need to be grateful for the ways that the Spirit works through us, but we need to be very mindful that we need one another. There should never be any lone rangers in in ministry. We need one another, we must complement one another uh, so that we can help each other grow up in the faith that's ours in Jesus Christ. Verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one who receives his own reward, or his wages, according to his own labor. And then in verse 9, and this is as far as I want to go today, For we are God's fellow workers, or God's co-workers, You are God's field. You are God's building. So you see here that uh, Paul is uh, mixing his metaphors. He loves to mix his metaphors. He loves to mix his images. So those of us who are working uh, to, to bear fruit in the kingdom of God, we are God's fellow workers. God, with great grace and God, with great gift to each one of us, has chosen to use us to do His work in the world. Those of us who are in Christ, uh, those of us who are being animated by the Spirit of Christ, we are God's fellow workers. God could send the angels to do all of His work in the world, but God is um, gracious enough to use us. He has given us that dignity. He has given us that responsibility. He's given us that privilege. We are God's fellow workers. We are in this together. We cooperate with each other. We all have our different gifts. Um, We are God's fellow workers. We are the people working in God's field uh, to bring about fruitfulness. We are the people working in God's building, uh, the people of Christ, the body of Christ in this world, to make sure that it is a building of great quality. So that's probably a good stopping place for today. Uh, We'll do the next half of chapter 3 in our next installment. Again, thank you to your commitment to an in-depth Bible study. Thank you for your desire to be all that God in Christ uh, wants for you. And that desire that is in you uh, is certainly of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Thank you for joining us.